explore the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Instant analysis time on the State of Combat podcast on CBS Sports with your boy, the Brian Campbell. And it's after midnight on the East Coast, just minutes after Deontay Wilder, Luis Ortiz, part two, the duel in the desert. No, not that desert. I'm talking about the one in Las Vegas. And once again, Wilder delivered the boom with a seventh round knockout in SOC is right here, right now, ready to deliver the goods and break it down. Because you know after midnight, you gotta let it all hang out. Your boy BC, caffeinated, ready, let's do this. Uh, If anyone's going to provide the performance-enhancing audio to let you know about this fight, what happens next, how you should be feeling, how you should be reacting, it's your boy BC. To this day! Yes! To this day! Tell him, Deontay! Yes, man. That's what I'm talking about. And Deontay once again flashed that legendary power that we're going to break down and get into in a minute as the pay-per-view came and went. And it was a good one. Decent undercard. But, man, when you get heavyweights, when you get action, when you get a matchup in which you're really on pins and needles throughout, you can feel the drama throughout. And really, this was that all over again. This fight looked so much like their first meeting in March 2018 until Wilder was able to finish it. And I, I want to start right there. Like, even before we get into anything, I just want to say, guys, like, this is how it used to be. It used to be this good when heavyweights mattered. I really feel for anybody who first taste of heavyweight boxing came during that that Klitschko era. And again, it's, it's never a disrespect to Vladimir and Vitaly, but that era... It, it sucked the horn, guys. I mean, let's be honest. It was it, it was a lot of guys you didn't know. The fights weren't exciting. The big ones that we finally built up to, the Klitschko Hayes, those type of fights, never gave it and delivered to us. You had two brothers who were dominant ahead of anyone. And yet, just before that, for us, hashtag blessed enough to have lived it in the 90s and, and those before that, going back to the 70s, which may be the greatest heavyweight era of all time, with, by the way, the 90s right behind that. I mean, it's front page sports news every time a heavyweight title fight takes place. And when you have so many personalities and they're all legendary and can fight, it's incredible. And we don't know really right now if this crop of the Wilder, Ortiz's, Joshua's, Ruiz's, Furies are legendary, but they're fun. They can talk. They can sell. They can make fights. They let their hands go. They want to be great. They're willing to circumvent the politics that get in the way, which is, you know, a big part of the spinoff from this Wilder Ortiz 2 fight. The fact that we are going to get Wilder Fury in February. More on that, of course, in a minute. But back to that original point. I mean, it's still real to me, damn it. When when a heavyweight title fight happens where you don't know the outcome heading in, oh, man, that, that rush, that feeling. And when Deontay's walking in dressed, uh, I don't know what he's dressed in, that, that wild white and gold outfit with the eyes wide shut mask, you're getting those feels. I wasn't, I didn't go to Vegas this time around. I, I chose to stay home with a ton of travel, you know, before and after to, to cover this from home. But even watching on my TV screen in my cold basement in suburban Connecticut, I caught them same feels I caught in the nineties watching those pay per view fights illegally through the squiggly lines when you would take a nickel and tape it down onto the power button of your cable box, right? You'd press in the power button just enough, tape the nickel over the top. What does that mean? That means for some reason you found the glitch in the system and you can watch the pay-per-view channel 
but it would be all squiggly. It would be black and white, but you'd get full audio. So whether you're there to watch the Spice Channel or you're there to watch on-demand uh, Holyfield Foreman or what have you of the early 90s heavyweight pay-per-view title clashes, it was special. It was huge. And when the fight ended, you went to Sports Center, you turned it on, and the show would open with Charlie Steiner and with Al Bernstein in Las Vegas, and they'd go ham for like 25 minutes on Bo Holyfield 1 or what have you, Tyson McNeely, any of those fights. And uh, we may not be getting that same coverage necessarily right now, but that's when heavyweights ruled the world, and it's starting to get that taste again because you're having these special personalities and athletes. And Deontay Wilder is consistently showing us that he's tops among that list from the idea of delivering excitement and entertainment. So there's your foundation that your boy BC has built for this instant analysis show. Reminder, as always, and what a week it was for the damn state of combat podcast. I mean, we, we damn near, we might have this week on the podcast. We appreciate your support, your listenership. We do ask you in this holiday season to spread that forward with a five-star review on Apple podcasts, Spotify, uh, Tinder, uh, J date, wherever you can hear this show, let them know you're hearing it. Spread the word on Twitter, spread it like jelly on your toast in the morning. All right, then, because uh, what a week, man. We gave you interviews with Stone Cold Steve Austin, Deontay Wilder, Andrew Concio, who I haven't seen the fight yet, but spoiler alert, just found out Rene Alvarado sent him to hell in the rematch on DAZN. Uh, we had you covered this week. Rafe Boogs and I set in the stage for Wilder Ortiz 2 Survivor Series preview. We're giving you the instant analysis now. You're going to get the instant analysis Sunday night after Survivor Series, so be ready for that. Because we're in your ear holes, all right? We know we know what we're talking about. I know this game. I know this game. You got to listen to me when I tell you what's going on. I mean, you know, I'm calling this shot. I'm calling shots right now. I mean, what you want to do, right? You want to be a baller? Shot caller, brawler? I know what you're thinking. Where is Big Red? Rafe Boogs is... uh. The head's on the pillow right now in, in suburban Detroit. But uh shout out to our brother, our brethren right there. Um, I, we don't pay him enough apparently to keep that man awake and I don't blame him. You know, it's not, it's not an easy gig at 124 in the AM to get all geeked and jazzed up to bring the audio heat, but I'm going to do that right now. All right. It was Fox pay-per-view. Um, and we're going to get into all that. We're going to get into the fight. What happens next? What we liked, what we didn't like, all the good, bad and the ugly right after we catch a little word from our friends and sponsors right now. Yeah. Coming at you. Enjoy it. Dig it. Grab your VIP pass. We're delving into the secretive world of Formula One. Behind the scenes with two of the sport's biggest names, Mercedes and Williams. This is not coal mining, this is Formula One motor racing. As they build their new cars. We want to be so much further ahead. We're in permanent racing mode. And face shocking headlines. Here's Lewis Hamilton moving away from Mercedes. I'm Joseph Fiennes and this is F1 Back at Base. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hip-hop takes the stand in the new documentary As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Rap lyrics are playing an increasingly prominent role in criminal cases. Every song, every lyric, every video that you've ever been involved with, they're going to use against you. Follow rap artist Kemba as he explores the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system. This artistic expression is a confession. I'm ready. Roll the tape. Watch the eye-opening new documentary As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. And we're back, your boy, BC, the State of Combat Podcast. In this Campbell Podcast. Thank you, Nick Costos. Yes, we're back. We're back with a bang. And it's time to talk about all things Wilder Ortiz, too. It went down on Fox Pay-Per-View in the desert, Las Vegas, MGM Grand Garden Arena. And by the way, I just want to say this. T-Mobile Arena opened up a couple years ago, and they're doing the, the monster events there. All the big UFCs, the, the Maymax, all that. In Canelo and all, but and it's a great arena and there's nothing wrong with it. It's part of the MGM family nestled right there between New York, New York and, uh, Park MGM, the old Monte Carlo hotel. And it's great, but man, there's something about the intimacy of the MGM Grand Garden Arena I've enjoyed lately. In fact, Canelo Kovalev was a nice little comeback there when the larger arena T-Mobile had already been booked for something bigger. I think one time was a Microsoft con, con, uh, conference another time i think was a big concert but 
I love going back to that arena that has so many memories. It's very intimate. It's very reminiscent to the Mandalay Bay Event Center. And this was the stage for this heavyweight rematch that let's not forget. Why are we doing this? Why are we having this fight? If you're Deontay Wilder and you're Al Heyman and you, first of all, Al Heyman, a goat. So we can say nothing against that. But if you're Team PBC, why the heck three months before a double network signed pay-per-view rematch with Tyson Fury for Deontay Wilder, are you running back? the most difficult challenge of your career against, you know, arguably the most avoided. And I know we keep using the term most avoided for Luis Ortiz ahead of this fight. A lot of people going, hey, how avoided can we be if Anthony Joshua tried to get him last minute? And you're right. You're right on that regard. But overall, obviously, high risk, low reward. People not going out of the way to fight him. Wilder would have millions of reasons to never fight him again after surviving their first meeting in March 2018. Yet here's Wilder blessing Ortiz, as he says, with this second chance. I mean, we said in the preview coming in, not only could Wilder have lost this via bunk decision, straight up, knockout loss. He could have won and had a cut or had a hand issue, had all of that. And I don't know if it's dare to be great. I don't know if it's... um Al Heyman owing uh, Ortiz a gift for not taking that Joshua fight the first time around. A lot of rumors in the business going on there. You can play it how you want. But Deontay Wilder's a real man. I mean, he is. He, uh, you know. I speak it, believe it, receive it. Speak it, believe it, receive it. Speak it. I mean, there used to be a time where we're like, tell me a guy he'd be better than Chris Ariola, right? Now, like, I mean, once that that switch was flipped and Deontay uh decided he wanted to face everyone and anyone what the heck can you say negative about him maybe with the exception of the scorecard benefit of the doubt that he's gotten at times specifically in that fury rematch but look some people some people legitimately thought do you know there's a few people out there i'm gonna call you out the dan rayfields the lance pugmires of the world who scored it for wilder in that fury fight i still don't get that but the point here is that Wilder, like, why are you taking this fight? It had that much danger and potential to screw up what he was building. Yet that old thing that he says is so damn true. I've said it a million times. You know, you got it. You can be throwing a perfect game against this man and you make one mistake and you give up a homer and the game's over right there. The fight is over. And Wilder said it himself on the Fox desk after the victory tonight. He said, quote, they have to be perfect for 12 rounds. I only have to be perfect for two seconds. And, end quote. And it's wild. It's what, it's, he's not the first heavyweight, you know, featured guy or heavyweight champion with big time power, but we're starting to see when you use terms like legendary power that I'm starting to do like crazy. It's not hyperbole, folks. Uh, I had this fight six rounds to zero. For Ortiz at the time of the stoppage. Yeah, I thought Wilder looked like he was closing in on winning that round. And yes, I know there were many people on Twitter who gave Wilder two rounds overall or whatever. And I know Larry Hazard on the broadcast, the unofficial score had it much closer than I did. But I'd love to go back with you and, you know, watch it in black and white. Watch it with no sound. Watch it with peanut butter smeared on the screen. Watch it with an eyes wide shut mask on. Watch it pantsless with you if you're willing. And have you show me where Wilder won any of those rounds in the first six, yet he can F around, set a guy up, wait for that guy to tire just a little, and deliver that great equalizer in a way that's becoming historic. It's becoming insane. It's becoming ridiculous how he can bail himself out. I mean, look, when he, when the old Wilder, right, the guy that was still proving himself, would get shaken by a jab from Eric Molina or down four rounds to nothing against a Gerald Washington. And we're like, man, you know, this guy's really not that good, but that power gets him out of things. He's a lot better than that, right? Like whether not, no matter how you had the, the fury fight scored, uh, Wilder did some big things and worked his way back in. And, and same thing with the first uh, Ortiz fight. He's a lot better than that. Yet he still has the ability to rely on that. And he said after the fight that this knockout of Ortiz in this rematch, it was more of a setup. He was doing little things throughout to kind of get closer, to kind of set up for that one punch. You can believe him or not. Either way, he has that weapon to get himself out of trouble. 
and he only needed one in this fight. It was a perfect right hand in which Ortiz was almost caught up in the moment. He had his back close to the ropes. He had his two hands up in the guard. He was transitioning from having his hands somewhat down, looking like he was going to set up a punch, to bringing his guard up. And in doing that, I don't know if it blocked his vision at all or what, but Wilder's timing was perfect with a right cross, but like a short one, not a helicopter shot, not one of these crazy ones that Wilder throws when he knows he has you hurt. A smart, direct, sharp right cross through the guard that rocked rocked Ortiz, dropped him against the ropes. And look, Ortiz tried his best. And afterwards he said, look, I was fine. The ref counted a little bit too fast, but there's a reason why Kenny Bayless, a very, very, very trusted veteran, future hall of famer, uh, it has that reputation, right? He waited for Ortiz to rise at 10, gave him a quick look, made the, the, you know, the discretion that this is a hurt man and waved it off. And it's just like, Wow. Wow. Is Wilder fighting the same level of competition that the greats in the 70s and 90s? We're probably not. But this era is starting to be something legit. It's not the Klitschko era, where, again, you had two legends and you had a bunch of decent guys. Or you had the Chris Birds. You had, you had Tua and I, I could be a Buche for a while. And you had a Buche, sorry. And you had, um, but then you had the Abragamovs and the Chagayevs and the, I mean, it was just, it was just barren. The womb was barren. And now we got something here. And Wilder is proving whether he'll ever be able to outbox and, and be, or, or not outbox, but, but survive Tyson Fury's ability to outbox him or not. He's special, man. That power is so special. I got to read something to you that one of, uh, one of our great listeners here hit me up with on Twitter. His handle is at Drew W. Beg. That's B-E-G-G. Drew Begg coming in with, it's not even huge bombs. Like Tyson, you could see the intensity in every punch. But with Wilder, it's so effing effortless. It's almost like he's not trying to hit hard, yet he takes your head off. Shout out to Drew Begg right there. I don't know what it would be like to try to navigate against Wilder. Because yes, again, he does the wild, absurd helicopter windups. But when he's zoned in, and I do think he's smarter than people give him credit, and I do think he has a ring IQ. And mind you, he's got some smart guys in his corner. The dual trainer thing with Jay Diaz, who's been there from the beginning, and a guy like Mark Breland, who's a you know Hall of Famer, a legend. And there's something that Wilder does well, which is take snapshots mentally and download info. And he doesn't typically ever have success early unless he knocks you out with one punch. But he knows he's going to outlast you, and that's a big part. You're going to weaken and slow just enough. And he does set up his shots, the sharp ones, the quick counters, really in a way that belies that image that we have, belies that image we have of him of being, you know, this reckless sort of guy who maybe gets lucky or maybe covers up for his sins with just that big punch. I mean, this was a brilliant punch. And to Drew Begg's point, it wasn't one of those duck down and load up monster bombs that Tyson's known for. It was just a short, perfect shot. I mean, it was almost like the one George Foreman ended Michael Moore with. And he just has, with that length and that reach and that quick twitch fibers, a a sick historic ability that now that he's put together this run, which is now 10 defenses of that WBC title. I know there's Molina's in there and Artie Spielka's in there and, you know. I'm gonna kick his ass. Remember, remember, Sam, I'm gonna kick your ass. No, he, you didn't, though. He sent you to the deep, dark depths. But, you know, there's also now Luis Ortiz twice on there and Tyson Fury once in a draw and Brazil and Stavern twice. And, you know, for the era and the guys that he has access to, right, you can argue who's at fault. They never fought Joshua. That's one thing. He tried to fight Povetkin until Meldonium got in the way. Um, he's putting together the kind of resume now, a champion since 2015, folks, that we got to open our eyes to. And this is just sick bailout power. He's a great athlete. He's always in top condition. He sort of came to a point, Deontay Wilder, where he figured out how to make his rawness an advantage, not a weakness. And now that we're talking 10 title defenses, like, there's only six heavyweights that have ever done that. And, like, 
it's pretty damn impressive. I mean, look, Joe Lewis, he, he defended the title 25 times. I know it's a different era where the big name fighters did and had to fight very often. And there's the Joe Lewis bum of the month club thing and all that. But look, 25 defenses in a heavyweight division is just insane. And, you know, Larry Holmes, Vladimir Klitschko had some long stretches there. But 10 title defenses is putting you in that company with the likes of Ali and the likes of others. And it's um, what are you going to say at this point for Wilder if you have uh, criticism of him? Like, what are you going to say? I don't know what you can say. I had him down 6 nothing against Ortiz, an elite foe. But the whole time I knew what Wilder was doing and what he was setting up for, and it's unique. It's unique that he has this ability, and he knows it, and he leans on it as a strength, but he doesn't lean on it recklessly or, or, or whatever. He's setting you up in his own way. And then when he lands that shot in the second half of the fight, and this was the seventh round, you don't get up. You're ch- it's not fight-altering power. It's fight-ending power, but it's also career-altering power. It's special. And I know that's a long-ass looping rant to just be like, wow, the guy hits hard. We know that already. I know that already. You know that already. You know that I know that already. You know I'm stalling to try to find this soundbite. The man's got killing power. Yeah. And if he doesn't kill you, he can probably leave your brain damaged. But even if he only had that killing power, he wouldn't have 10 title defenses. I'll tell you that. Wilder's figuring out how to be special. I don't know if right now he's the best heavyweight in the world. I thought Tyson Fury beat him. I, that's why we need that rematch. I need to see that rematch again. I do think the winner of that fight is the best heavyweight in the world. No disrespect to Joshua or Ruiz. It's going to be an interesting fight in two weeks. We got to see what happens to that. Obviously, Usyk is going to try to make his own imprint, but... Wilder is itching into that territory now where even if you're his most hardcore hater, dude, he's doing historic things for his own era. He's he's doing what he needs to do. He's a star. He's still only 34 despite coming into the sport late and then not fighting anybody for something like, what, 39 fights or whatever, 34 fights and 32 fights. And look at him now. Look at him now at 42-0-1 with 41 KOs. And he wants to fight the best. And he took this absurd chance let's break down this fight a little bit more it looked a lot like the first one you got to give Luis ortiz credit it's got the size at six four or five it's got the southpaw style got the cuban amateur background he was able to sustain i thought success even longer than that first fight by boxing beautifully so what did he do in particular it was the angles and the footwork to kind of keep wilder off balance but most importantly took away once again he took away wilder's jab completely and wilder's jab he paused a lot with it but when he uses it as a weapon, it's long, quick, and stiff. Wow, that's a, uh, yeah, that is, uh, that's something there. And when you take it away from him, you can start coming forward like Luis Ortiz did, and you can get Wilder to sort of enter into deer in headlights mode. I mean, it's the same setup that even Eric Molina used to, to hurt or to seemingly hurt Wilder with a jab late in that fight. What, what Ortiz did great, and look, what Ortiz were asking of him, here's a guy with size, power, speed for a heavyweight, and an ability to box. And he may be 58. So most guys don't have this luxury. They can't do what he was able to do. But he was able to take away that jab by pawing over what others jab. Get closer, get closer, get closer. And once Wilder was cornered, it was deer in headlights in Ortiz, to give him credit, found the perfect strategy with that looping left. He had the timing, the distance, everything perfect. And I think that's how he's able to win rounds on my card. Now, look, if you gave Wilder in the end one or two rounds, I can't argue with you too much. There were rounds, you know, this was largely a boring fight early. Nothing really happened in these rounds. You look at the punch stat numbers in which Ortiz outlanded Wilder 35 to 34 overall. And some of these rounds that I gave to Ortiz, CompuBox only had each guy landing two punches. So, not the end of the world if somebody had Wilder on the other end. Even what, you know, I don't mean have Wilder winning. I mean, have given Wilder a few rounds. But from what I saw, from what I know about boxing and craft, Ortiz is winning these rounds, guys. He's landing, the, the ones that he's landing are power shots. They're looping left hands. They're solid setups to the body. Really, the only thing Wilder was landing was a partial right hand in which was Ortiz was half blocking it. And then a couple jabs here and there throughout the first five or six rounds. It really was a brilliant job by Ortiz to slow down the pace, really work with the spacing, use his advantages as a southpaw, set up those angles 
in terms of which side he's moving into to set up his shots and really just making Wilder look frustrated, confused. There was a point in that fight early. I believe it was the second or third round. I got my notes in front of me, but it's late, folks, okay? Where Wilder got hit with what I thought was the biggest punch of the fight. It was another one of those looping left hands. And I saw a frustrated, angry Deontay who instantly, like, not only kind of laughed angrily, but started talking trash and started motioning Ortiz on. And I think it was sort of his way of saying, like, you're getting me into these traps and I can't get out of them. Now, to Deontay Wilder's credit, even though I had Ortiz up 6 nothing, at the end of that fifth round, which was another kind of boring-ish close round, Ortiz was the aggressor. I thought he was out punching and out landing Wilder. But when they exchanged, a little bit of a two-way exchange there late, I thought Wilder wobbled Ortiz late in the fifth. It was just a little bit, not enough even to give him the round, because again, I thought Ortiz from start to finish was controlling all the, all aspects of it in a, in a in a very little pocket there of strong boxing within a round in which not much happened. But it showed you that Wilder was getting closer, that he rebounded from some of the frustration he threw he was enduring, and that led into eventually two rounds later when he finished it. But the overall point here is what Ortiz was doing was brilliant, man. You don't want to get into a slugfest with Wilder. He was able to slow the pace down, control the distance, land the power shots. Overall, he landed 28 power shots to 17 for Wilder. Obviously, CompuBox isn't, isn't gospel, but the Conobio family knows what they're doing over there, and you can use it in an argument, and it can help you tell your story. Wilder outlanding Ortiz in jab 17 to 7, but overall in body shots, it was Ortiz 11 to 7. The body shots look hard. Everything he was doing was right is really where I'm going with this through six rounds. He only had gotten hit with a couple counters, nothing really too clean or powerful outside of that one little brief jab that seemed to wobble him because they landed at the same time. Ortiz was setting the stage for... It's interesting to say. I don't know what he was setting the stage for. He was setting the stage to to for Wilder to need a knockout on my scorecard it was starting to see. I'm sure, especially given Larry Hazard's scorecard, that the judges may have, in my opinion, overvalued what Wilder was doing because of the fact that not much was happening. When, again, I'm not saying I'm smarter than everybody. I just thought what I was watching, the nuances of boxing, Ortiz, was clearly, to me, winning those rounds. But because there wasn't a ton happening, Wilder could have been in there. But Ortiz, with the improved stamina, which was a big storyline coming in, I think he was really setting up to have a chance should that fight have gone the distance, which I know is asking a lot of two guys who both guaranteed a knockout. But because of how safe they were playing it in terms of letting it be a chess match and Ortiz winning that chess match, there certainly was going to be a chance for Ortiz to finish that fight on his feet and have a chance of winning. So he really set the stage and a foundation in which I don't think he... He, uh, where's, where's the, uh, where's the comment? Where's Ahmed El Bialy here? Yeah, hopefully Condon, you know... <laughs> shoot out his gun. I didn't think Ortiz was going to be a threat to shoot out his gun here, if you know what that means. Unlike the first fight in which he wasn't in championship cardio level. He didn't really know what he needed to be for a 12-round fight of that magnitude, he told me after the fact. He ends up almost stopping Wilder in seventh round of the first fight and then shooting his load, then gassing out and never recovering and getting stopped. You saw the shape he came in in, what, 237 was his weight, I believe, 234 and a half, something like that, but just carved up, ripped up, did he have the headphones on and listen to the performance-enhancing audio? I don't know. I don't have copies of his blood. But he looked great, and he looked like he was going to have a chance to win a decision if he could keep it more of a boxing match. Now, I think inevitably, whether you think Wilder was setting him up the whole time or got lucky, wherever you fall on that, and I do believe that there were certain things he was doing to set up for that shot, and I think inevitably, yes, Ortiz was going to slowly tire, but... I think there would have been a moment Wilder would have stepped on the gas out of even out of frustration and made it a war. And if it got to a war at any point, I think Wilder was going to win. And that was really a big part of the prediction coming in. You've got the younger, fresher champion with the biggest weapon on the battlefield. A, a boxing setup isn't going to favor him, right? You saw the deer in headlights when Ortiz is able to corner him. Ortiz's best chance is really to to set up a big shot that can hurt Wilder rather than have that happen in the middle of a war, because that's when Wilder's athleticism comes out. That's when his raw, wild ability seems to freeze his opponents and sets them up. So maybe it's inevitable for Ortiz. 
But I thought he did that he was going to lose. I mean, because that's who Wilder is. He's so focused on getting you out of there when he's got the deeper gas tank and the bigger punch. If he would have made that a war at any point, you can make a strong argument that he's going to win. And that was really my prediction coming in. I predicted an eighth round knockout. It ended up being a seventh. My prediction was that Wilder was going to lose rounds early, but at some point he was going to step on it and make it a war. He didn't need to make it a war in the end because he's smarter than people give him credit, and he set up that punch perfectly. But the point I'm trying to make long-winded here is that Ortiz did everything he needed to have a chance to win this fight. There's no excuses with secret hand injuries with plates in them that needed to be removed. There's no heart medicine. Uh, as far as we know, there's no performance enhancing issues. He came in there at 40 or 58 or 64 or whatever you think and gave himself the best chance to potentially win. And I take my head off to him because tell me he's not the third best heavyweight in the world. Tell me right now. I don't say PC. What are you talking about? AJ only lost one fight. Did you not see AJ against Klitschko and I'll box Joe Parker and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, AJ did some big things and he's really good. He's also got to answer this question, whether, whether his heart, whether, whether his nuts are still in there. And it, it, let me just play that joke. Let me finish out the joke. Okay. It's 2013. I did want to pause that joke and say, uh, that one night only thing that DAZN put out, that documentary, it's actually really good, and I give them credit. Looking back at the Joshua Ruiz part one, I do encourage you to check that out on DAZN. They got Sly Stallone. They got some other people there. Mike Tyson is the star of that thing, like, by far. Like, I don't know if they let him spark up beforehand or not, but he's hilarious. He has monster moments. There's a load watch element with Mike Tyson that I'd love to grab for the show, but the F word's in it. We all love Mike Tyson. That show's incredible. Mike Tyson, baby. Mike Tyson. I like Mike Tyson. I like Mike Tyson, too. Um, and that show's not without, by the way, uh, journalistic criticism on on who they had talk. And, like, you got referee Michael Griffin, but you're not going to have him speak to the stoppage. Stuff like that. But it's an, it's a really good, entertaining watch for a sort of celebrity crossover piece. Put that away. Back to what I was saying here. Um, I think Ortiz might be the third best heavyweight in the world. We don't really know how good Andy Ruiz is, right? Great knockout against Joshua. Hadn't really shown that ability, even after going to the title level in the past against Joseph Parker. Luis Ortiz fought his face off tonight. Fought a great fight in the first fight as well, by the way. I mean, I'm serious. I don't know how old he is. I don't know how long he can stay in that shape. But I want to see him against every other heavyweight. This guy's really good. And Deontay Wilder figured him out, got him out of there, and didn't lose the Tyson Fury rematch, which is the whole story of this fight. It's insane. Wilder's special, and he's special in such a unique way that it takes us finally... And uh, Some of us have already done this three, four years ago. Some people are still need to do it. Give up what you think Wilder needs to be in your own mind to fully embrace him as the heavyweight champion of this era and instead just recognize and love and bless what he is it's special it's special what he's doing and he's doing it his own way and nobody is like this dude you know he didn't grow up boxing nobody is like this dude yet ortiz at 40 man i you saw the what's the not bitterness i mean the he was emotional after he lost you you could tell that he knew he put everything he had into this rematch. There was going to be no excuses. There was no, a lot of people said coming in, well, you know, with the Fury fight coming up, Ortiz probably just going to take a dive and take his, you know, seven million and go, you know, bring his family over and do whatever he wants. No, like Ortiz came to win. Like, like let's put all that conspiracy crap away. And he gave himself every possible chance and he made one friggin' mistake and left that curveball hanging and Wilder hit it out of the park and you saw the, remorse and disappointment in him knowing like outside of fury who has that kind of success against wilder right nobody nobody so ortiz is great and now wilder's got two knockouts against him on his resume man what a night what a night for ghana boxing what a night for uh, tuscaloosa alabama what a night for for uh, athletes in 2013. Athletes sleep a lot of women. It's 2013. That's what we do. Thank you, Paulie. At least somebody got the nightcap right. You know what I'm saying there, Paulie? 
You know what I'm saying there? Yo, 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 relax. I'm with you. I'm with you, bro. I'm with you. It's uh, it's Danny's night. It's uh. Then you realize, oh, that's Danny. Yes, it is. Sorry, it's Deontay's night. It is Deontay's night. Wow, 34 years old, 42, 0 and 1, 41 KOs for Wilder. So what happens next? We got the Fury rematch, and it's great. And this is going to be massive. It's going to be a Fox ESPN joint. My Coppinger, the top quality operator there over at The Athletic with some details heading into this fight and a piece uh, that, that kind of spells it out more. Where's my button? You're a, you're, you're a quality operator, a quality bloke, and a quality fighter. Cop, you got to quit this, uh, by the way, this Twitter feud you're doing with Sergey Kovalev. The guy will not, the guy, the guy will send you to hell in a handbasket. All right. So enough of that. Anyway, cop had some, uh, inside details there. Uh, it's going to be Fox and ESPN. Bob Arum's throwing out, you know, oh, this one could do two million. Uh, if it does one million reportedly, it, it, it guarantees while there are a whole heck of a lot of money that would, Make the idea of him turning down that quote unquote generational wealth from DAZN seem like it's a smarter idea, seem like it's a better idea. Look, I get from this point of view and while they're turning that down, by the way, he wants full control over his career. Him and Heyman are right in that regard. You sign a four fight deal with DAZN, you giving them the control. He wants the control. He wants the ability to become such a phenomenon that he would demand crazy money and do pay per view numbers. By the way, folks, I don't know what Wilder Ortiz 2 did on pay per view. But could you do anything better as a pay-per-view brand, which Wilder is, than have a highlight like this to end the fight, especially a fight that it seemed like you were losing? I mean, wow. Shout out to Deontay Wilder. Wow. And one more thing, because I just checked Twitter quickly. Before we get fully away from this fight, um, the, the aforementioned Mike Coppinger tweeted out the scores at ringside from the three judges at the time of the stoppage. Just to let you know, I did have it six to nothing through those first six rounds. So that's 60 to 54 for Ortiz. Your three judges, which I think was Dave Moretti, uh, some guy I never heard of. And uh, I think Steve Weisfeld was the third. They had it 59-55, 59-55. So both of those, of course, are five rounds to one and 58-56, four rounds to two. Heck, in favor of Luis Ortiz. So like... Hey, boxing, we finally seemingly got it right. Thank you, man. At least some people got the score right. So a uh, shout out to that because we all remember that first fight in which at the time of the stoppage in the 10th round, so scoring through nine rounds, all three judges had it for a while. They're at a spot where you just couldn't justify that because Ortiz seemingly had won the first four rounds, got dropped in the fifth, almost had Wilder out of there in a 10-8 round in the seventh. So to see him down on the scorecards at the time, happy to see this here. But what I was setting up, and running forward was what's next, and this Fury rematch. And you have Aram saying, oh, I think it could do two million. Look, even if it did, like, no one does over a million anymore. Can we just understand that? Mayweather Pacquiao in 2015, which set the record with 4.6 million buys, uh, they killed the pay-per-view industry. Uh, and, to a, and that's a weird, harsh statement. And you could argue even to a degree that, that the... The pay-per-view industry that they built leading up to there in which anytime they fought anybody seemingly, they were doing a million buys. Although, like, think of a fight like Mayweather-Hatton, by the way. A fight that you think automatically, oh, what did they do, a million and a half? That one only did, I think, something like 800,000 buys. But it just goes to show you how hard it is to do a million. These guys were doing it somewhat consistently, but I think they were doing it consistently because everybody wanted them to fight each other. And everybody had to tune in to see if they can stay you know, undefeated or stay on line to end up fighting. And ho hopefully this will be the fight. Floyd says yes to Manny in the interview afterwards. So that was a big part of it. Then you finally get that fight. 4.6 million people buy it. And it kind of killed it afterwards. What has done a million since that fight? Both Golovkin Canelo fights. May Mac did 4.4. And I think that's it unless I'm missing something. I remember Cotto Canelo, which was later in 2015 did something like 900,000 and it was considered a big success. We know nowadays if you go out there on Fox pay-per-view and you pump out 400,000 buys, people are like for 2019, you know, athletes don't sleep with a lot of women anymore or buy pay-per-views. That's a big success. So even if Wilder Fury can do 1.3, I mean, if it does one, it's, it's huge. What the first fight do on Showtime in 2018, it was what like uh three, 400,000. So obviously 
We're getting closer to Wilder finally reaching his potential as a brand. Fury's crossing over with WWE. If I could easily see with a great promotion. And by the way, again, I don't know the numbers on Wilder Ortiz too, but I think you have to shout out Fox for what they did. The last two, three weeks, maybe it was out of fear that this fight wasn't going to sell. Man, they attacked TV, social media, ad sales, uh, taking the shows that you know I subscribe to, that I'm a part of, hosting PBC face-to-face, being a panelist on PBC Countdown and pumping those clips onto YouTube through social media. Some of the things that they didn't want to do originally. And I was sort of uh, banging that drum, knocking on doors, sending emails saying, hey, let's get these shows out there. It will only help your numbers. They went that ham. They, I mean, that was aggressive as F. And to think this is the first pay-per-view fight under the Fox deal in which they had a full promotional season with the NFL to use to promote and the the launch of SmackDown on Fox or WWE. I would not be surprised, by the way, if Wild Ortiz ends up doing a much bigger number than we would have guessed. Because coming in, a lot of us were thinking, man, this really isn't a pay-per-view fight. It probably won't end up doing great. Let's say Wild Ortiz 2 overachieved. Say it's like 450, 500 even. You have to believe Fury Wilder 2. Being able to show the highlights of that incredible first fight it's got a shot, man, to do a million and a half, I think. And that's top end. But we've never seen a fight yet go through both machines at once. Meaning, uh, if this fight happens in February, like they're saying, February 22nd, you're going to be able to, Fox, by the way, has the Super Bowl this year. You're going to be able to use the NFL playoffs in the Super Bowl build to promote it on Fox. Simultaneously on ESPN, because it would be a joint network pay-per-view, we've never seen a giant pay-per-view plugged in through that ESPN system, right? Crawford Khan did poorly, wasn't a giant pay-per-view now that ESPN's back in the pay-per-view game. And I say back because what they did that original one in 2015, that real weird one with Shane Mosley and David Estrada and uh, Calvin Brock and Jameel McCline, just that weird triple header that only half of the homes had access to at the last minute. And they charged like 20 bucks. ESPN's back in the pay-per-view game. So joint two major networks, dude, Dude, I mean, tell me how many times you go into a bar, a gym, a restaurant, and the TV by default has ESPN or FS1 on. I mean, that's the only two that that most barbershops that they have. Do you know how many times, this is not to toot my horn, but toot away, brohams, I get screenshots from people that I haven't talked to in 15 years, emails, texts going, hey, was in the airport, was having a vodka and tonic, looked up, saw you. Saw your PBC face-to-face. No, Rafe didn't see it, but I saw it. Here's a pic of it. I can't believe it, bro. This promotional engine, it may just do huge things. I mean, it kind of like, remember those days when only HBO and and Showtime were doing pay-per-view? And we were always like, man, imagine if boxing can get back on regular TV. Well, it is, okay? It is. This fight could be massive for the sport. And the fact that it has so many questions that we need answered to crown we are who he thought he was, right? To Dennis Green, to crown him as the number one heavyweight. And then again, set, bang that drum, set the stage for a potential undisputed fight against the winner of Joshua Ruiz too, man. What a time to be alive. And what I sort of started off this rant saying, could you ask Wilder to do anything more in 2019 to try and become a pay-per-view brand than, Every interview he's talking about killing a man. I mean, it's rough comments. Said it on this show. Says it, though. Makes makes the headlines. And then he's knocking fools out. I mean, the Boobs Brazil knockout is an all-timer on his highlight reel. So is this one, by the way. Add it to Artie Spielka. Add it to all of those, man. It's It's sick. This fight with Fury's brand getting puffed up. This might be what I started this podcast saying. Front page sports material crossover you know it's big when when you're you run into your aunt or, or you're going to thanksgiving and uh and not to call out females here but a female relative who has no connection to sports goes hey you're in fight game what do you think about this tyson fury guy that's when you know i mean when, when that woman judge is talking about it that woman judge who had it even please. please that's why i'm upset um then you know it's crossed over i think we're getting closer to that would i have loved to have seen full completion of that build to unbeaten Anthony Joshua versus unbeaten Deontay Wilder for all the belts to see if Joshua the boxer could solve Wilder the punch. Yeah, it would have been amazing. It would have been freaking fantastic. 
still may end up getting it in some form. I mean, what if Wilder knocks out Fury and AJ knocks out Ruiz? And again, I don't know how you're going to do a PBC and DAZN co-promotion. I asked that to everybody. I asked that question to Bill Wanger of Fox, Joe Markovsky of DAZN, uh, PBC folks, everyone. The question is the same. How is the zone going to fit into this idea of a joint network? Paper? I don't know if it does. I don't know if you can do that. A lot of people say, well, eventually, man, the zone might get to a point where they're just going to have to cross over into pay-per-view for a fight that big. I don't know. But Wilder, AJ at that point could still be friggin' massive. So it's fun. It's fun. Stop ever saying anything bad about the heavyweights now. I mean, do you not remember what it felt like in that Klitschko era? Do you remember when Sir... Sergei Lyakovich had that really good fight with Lehman Brewster. By the way, like that was like the best heavyweight fight through a stretch from from Lennox Lewis, Vitali Klitschko in 03 through Joshua Klitschko in 2017. That's what, a 14-year gap? During that stretch, the best heavyweight fight was Sergei Lyakovich versus Lehman Brewster. No, I'm serious. Really fun-ass heavyweight title fight. Leakovich wins by knockout. No one no one saw that fight. I don't even know if that fight was on an American network in hindsight. Probably was on Showtime thinking back. But I watched it at ESPN. It was like my first year there. I think it was 06. Leakovich comes in like four days later. He was going to be a guest on Friday Night Fight. So I guess that would be a week later. Five days later. And he comes in. Dude, nobody. I mean, like to, to say nobody knew him would be a joke. Because of course nobody knew him. His name's Sergei Leohovich. Nobody knows who this guy is. And I'm, I'm fired up. I go shake his hand. I call him champ. And nobody has a friggin' cl- That's the Klitschko era. Again, not the Klitschko's fault, but that's the damn Klitschko era. That's seven foot hairy guy. Who, who would eat 30 bag lunches and steal them from kids? I'll tell you, it's that damn Sasquatch in Russia with the hairy chest. It's Nikolai Valuev. Guys, do you not remember that Evander Holyfield at like age 78 went to Russia? And actually beat Valuev, but they didn't, they screwed him on the card. Nobody, no, nobody knew that wasn't on American TV. I think it was even on Christmas Day too, or maybe I'm thinking Rocky Four. Either way, it's the Klitschko era. Nobody cared. Nobody knew. How are people not going to care and know now when Wilder is sending fools to hell and he fights on Fox and he's showing up on the NFL pregame shows and Fury's going to probably show up on college game day and we're going to build to this fight. I'm fired up, guys. Okay? I'm fired up. You heard me interview Larry Merchant at the Canelo uh, Media Day thing, you know, podcast row. I told him that story, and it's true. Being ringside for Wilder Fury 1 gave me feelings deep inside. Come on, let me, let me put some water on your ball. I needed it. I needed that, by the way, that I hadn't felt in so long. I stood up at the end of that fight. And my loins were sweating. My pants had monster. It looked like I pissed my pants. Monster sweat stains. Didn't even know it. Didn't even know I was swimming in my own fluids, guys. That fight had so much damn drama. Could Fury tell the greatest story ever told? He got up in the eighth round. Could he finish off? Oh my God! They say he's dead. Oh, it's the Undertaker. I, you lived it. You know what I'm talking about. But. We get a chance to do that again. It, it's 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 special, all right. I'm delirious. It's past two a.m. You're still listening to me, but it's special, all right. Wilder wins, moves forward. It makes this Fury rematch even more fun to watch. I think you're gonna have more people, by the way, picking Wilder to win by knockout because I think not only does he have these two knockouts in between to help show his improvement, Fury's really hasn't improved from that fight, right? I mean, what else, What are you going to take from him beating the Schwartz? Where's the, Where's Bob? Fury needs the Schwartz and then another fight. And then the other fight was Otto Valin, in which, you know, of course, Wilder, or Fury fights through that obscene cut and almost gets stopped in the 12th. Let's not forget that. So I think you're going to have a lot of people picking Wilder. And I think also the image that was left from Wilder, Fury won, of Fury getting knocked down. And I think that, you know, left a lot of people going, well, Wilder won that fight. Wilder won the story of that fight, the whatever Max Kellerman line you want to use. No, guys, Fury won that damn fight. He also got up from a two-punch combo against the most devastating puncher of this era. But still, you get my point. A lot of people are going to pick Wilder, and the point is they might not be wrong. That's what's insane about this man's power. 
So that fight is hella intriguing. And I give Wilder so much credit for taking this fight at a time that you could say is reckless and stupid and getting to this point past Luis Ortiz on Saturday and keeping alive a giant fight. Look, if Ortiz had won, it wouldn't have been the end of the world, right? You would have had a trilogy. Winner of Joshua Ruiz, too. If it's Ruiz, he comes to PBC. A lot of things could happen. But Wilder Fury, too, is the fight. And now we get the fight. Shout out to boxing. Shout out to Omaha. Shout out to the Irish crew. Shout out to the ADK crew. Shout out to the Alex Godinez crew. Shout out to Quality Bloke. Shout out to uh, uh, Dylan Hager. Is that the guy's name? That guy loves us. We love him, too. Shout out to all you people for listening. Quickly, I want to go through the undercard here. Uh, Leo Santa Cruz moves up to 130 in the co-main event. Wins a bastardized secondary WBA title. Actually, the one that the full title is the one that Andrew Concio lost when Rene Alvarado knocked him out tonight on the same night. Leo gets the 12-round decision over Miguel Flores. No, not Sweet Baby Ray Flo's brother, but uh, the other Miguel Flores, and it's a typical Leo fight. Afterwards, he said he had a problem in training camp that he doesn't want to talk about that slowed him down. He wasn't at his best, but he moved up to 130, and he kind of looked like the Leo from 26, from 22, and from 18. Problem with Leo, of course. It's like, here's a statement that's going to be rude. Leo Santa Cruz is the most boring, exciting fighter in the game, right? He's hella exciting. He lets his hands go. He'll overwhelm you with punches. And he's also really smart. We saw the adjustments he made in the second Mares fight. The two Frampton fights are classics. And by the way, Carl Frampton, a guest on this week's State of Combat coming up. So do not miss that. Um, Leo's so much fun, but he doesn't have power, fight-changing power. He didn't even at 118. He certainly does it at 130. Miguel Flores fought a good fight came to win but the scorecards were wide for a reason on two of three cards the third card pretty close seven five from uh santa cruz even in a night that he says he wasn't at his best look leo santa cruz made the adjustments overcame a a pretty good start from flores and controlled distance look great man but what i love most about this in a fight that yes it started to get boring because these rounds all look the same it's every leo fight guys he sets a pattern he shows you what he can do from distance obviously against abdomaris it's different there's a lot of ebbs and flows but against this level of competition and unfortunately leo santa cruz has too many fights against this level of competition he's able to formulate a an adjustment and stay with it and every round looks the same but what you have to love about Leo is he's at this point in his career now. What is he, 31? I'm just guessing. I'm saying that out of the cornhole of my arse. Um, it's after midnight. we got to let it all hang out. Leo, how the heck old are you? 31. He's won uh, titles now in four divisions, if you count the secondary title that he won on Saturday night. He now wants the biggest fights, and that's it. He's in legacy mode. Like He's already kind of built his Hall of Fame resume, right? Titles in four divisions, like champion in three divisions, legitimate. Won his biggest fights, right? Uh, we don't know if he'll ever have a third one with Frampton, but he's great. Now he wants the names. Now he wants the money. Now he wants the glory. He wants all that. He says in 2020, I want two guys. I want Javante Davis. I want Gary Russell Jr. I want both of them. I want to make big fights. That's what we want to hear because up to this point, it's obvious Leo had been a favored son to Al Heyman. It's hard to call Al Heyman on the phone, but seemingly by naming his son after Al, seemingly <laughs> Leo Santa Cruz was able to 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 call him. You got to talk to Mr. Cancer, but he'll never talk to you, right? Well, Be- if you're Leo, he probably does. And Leo got a lot of fights that here's the truth. We would interview Leo. I would interview Leo. I'd be like, Leo, you are fighting a guy who we don't really want you to fight. It doesn't make sense that you're fighting this guy. And I'm not necessarily talking about Miguel Flores, but there's been a lot of fighters like that on his resume. And each time, to Leo's credit, of course, he gives you the initial, I'm just doing what my promoters want and Al Heyman, whatever. But he'll admit, yeah, I didn't want to fight this guy either. So for him now to be like, no, I'm done. I'm moving up to 30 and 35 if I can get Gervonta in the ring. Shout out to Leo Santa Cruz. Shout the hell out. All right. Uh, he's going to survive in advance. Let's see if he can get those fights, but I'd love to hear that. Brandon Figueroa fights to a split draw against a determined Julio Ceja for a 122 title. Brandon Figueroa defends his WBA crown. Ceja missed weight badly coming in four and a half pounds over. Never had access to that title. But Ceja's coming off of that Rigondeaux brawl in which he fought well and it was a questionable stoppage. 
he made this a fun ass fight. This was your fight of the night. Uh, who deserved to win? I thought Seha in the second half did great. He was going to the body. He was crowding Figueroa. He was making the fight. Now, Figueroa did very well in that 12th round. Closed huge, closed strong. Sister not in his corner. So that was a big disappointment. But closed huge, closed strong. They scored a draw. I don't think it's the wrong score in the end. I think it was actually kind of right because here's why. Brandon Figueroa, for being undefeated, way, 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 way too willingly gives away his height and reach advantages. Fights at a in a phone booth willingly, not different than his brother Omar Jr. Both are trained by Omar Figueroa Sr., their father. And between rounds, until the end, in the end, finally in the championship rounds, Papa Figueroa is like, uh, you need to fight from distance, blah, 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 which is kind of funny. He's like, you need to fight right-handed because you have more power. I need you to fight from distance. And then Figueroa comes out, goes right to southpaw, switching stances. So he didn't do what his dad said to begin with, but... Early in that fight, man, Figueroa's giving up his distance in ways that you don't think he should or need to because he's allowing Seha to get back in this fight. And his dad's saying, we need more offense. We need you to get closer. We need you. So that's sort of weird because Brandon Figueroa, the heartbreaker, is a good-looking dude. Can box from the outside. Like, he's not a pure boxer, right? The Figueroa's come to bang. I'm, I'm sure all three siblings do. That, all right, that, that's rude. That's too far. But you get what I'm saying. Would you like to shake my hand? I like to shake a lot of the parts of that family. But, um... He he could he could outbox this dude Seha from the outside, seeming with ease. It seemed like whenever he made those adjustments for brief stretches, he had control. But the Figueroa's like to get inside and let their damn hands go. Like uh, remember Omar against Arakara? That thing was insane. This was insane for huge stretches, and I think Brandon allowed Julio Seha, who was in his kitchen, to make it a fun fight. So it's not a great performance in the end, in my eyes, for Brandon. I wonder if they'll run it back. They both said they wanted to, but Figueroa obviously was like, you got to make way, bro. All right, you got to make way for this. So we'll see what happens on that. Uh, we never ended up seeing Luis Neri against Emmanuel Rodriguez. Neri missed weight by a pound, wasn't able to make it second time. Rodriguez said, that's it, I'm not doing this fight. Which is interesting because Brandon Figueroa, his opponent missed by four and a half. And he's like, yeah, let's have the fight. So they plug in Ledwan Barthelemy, the brother of Rances with Wolves and Rafe Barthelemy. And Ledwan gets stopped. This is a hell of a performance from Eduardo Ramirez. He went after him. He caught him. He knocked him out. So a big night there. And also Deontay Wilder's brother, Marcellus, the cruiserweight, who was I think was five and one coming in. He got sent to hell in a fight in which he was winning against Dustin Long who was 2-1-2 two, two coming in. So that was interesting. Uh, shout out to Fox, man. Pretty good pay-per-view overall. Their desk was a little out of control at times. Uh, Kate Abdul's fan-friggin-tastic. So shout out to the uh, boxing bully Barack Bess uh, and his dealings. She's great on the desk. Ray Boom Boom Mancini can be hit or miss. He was miss at times. Um, they had John Porter up there. You saw some of Abner. When Adam Kovnatsky came in, it was super awkward. But... uh Overall, I thought it was a, a, a good performance. Brian Kenny came over from DAZN for a one-off because the main Fox announcers were held up in NFL duties, and you know what he did well. Sometimes BK can be a little bit too opinionated for a play-by-play guy, but uh, I thought he did well overall. I've never really loved the Lennox-Joe Goosen combination. I think Joe Goosen has potential to be great. He's a great podcast guest. He's a great trainer. He's a Hall of Fame dresser. I think he can be a great broadcaster. The mix with Lennox is not always great, but I thought they had a good night, that trio, in the end, so... Good piece of business, folks. All right. I love me some Rafe Boogs. He's sleeping right now. He jacked, but we love that man. So uh, check out our podcast this week. We're going to have Carl Frampton. You're going to get Rafe Boogs' take on the weekly State of Combat Boxing podcast. I think that'll be Wednesday of this week. So look, if you're traveling for Thanksgiving, the best holiday ever, you got a long drive, you got a flight, put State of Combat in your ear holes. And if you are a pro wrestling fan and you also dabble in this pod and you heard our Stone Cold Steve Austin interview last week, um, we've got massive guests next week on the holiday week. I got Kane. Yeah, it's gotta be, it's gotta be Kane. And looks like we're getting the, the pro wrestler formerly known as Dean Ambrose, the one and only John Moxley of AEW fame. So you're not gonna wanna miss any of that. MMA is gonna have the week off. Check out our wrestling Survivor Series instant analysis late Sunday night. Thank you for your patronage. Thank you for, uh, we're on a record streak right now, folks. A little inside baseball here for State of Combat. Let me take a swig. Mm. For the working man there, uh, Stone Cold. We're doing record numbers on the pod. And it's because of you folks. We're putting the content out there and you're downloading it. You're listening to it. You're making it a part of your life. So uh, thank you for doing that. 
It means a lot. My voice is shot. Um, I'm going to go eat something. You know, he might be eating some of that Canelo meat. So I'd love to get some of that Canelo meat. I'd love to get my wife's eyes tattooed on my inside of my left forearm. Um, thank you. SOC is a big part. It's a big part of what I do. I love it. I love I love chatting with you guys. So thanks for hearing me ramble. Wilder wins. We got big business to come. Life is good, folks. And that's about enough I've had of this podcast. So obviously he's going to do whatever he wants. Yeah, right. All right, right. enough. Enough. Right, enough. Yeah. The show's over, and I got two words for you. We out. CBS Monday. NCIS. Here's where we can see them. NCIS and NCIS Hawaii return with all new cases. Double tap to the chest, one to the head. These guys are professionals. All new criminals. Violent Island, they got here. Walk to paradise. And all new crimes to be solved. If you're watching, these have been arrested. What are the charges? Just one. Murder. New NCIS and NCIS Hawaii. Monday, starting at 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.